0: You know, a couple weeks ago, we had our carry-in dinner. There was so much food here. Thank you for everyone who um, brought something and who came. We had great fellowship. Um, Folks bring snacks most every Sunday. There are decorations inside this building and outside that folks take care of, and and maintenance and other things that go on. Thank you all for for all of that. And then the music folks at work and put this stuff together um, so that we all can be blessed by it. Would uh, would you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians? As if you didn't already know where you were going today. <clears throat> um, the title of my message, I forgot to send the email. I always send an email and I was trying to sneak it in on my phone while Connie was playing, but she didn't play long enough. Uh, Um, (laughs) um, is the body walks and talks grace and forgiveness. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're also going to talk about some rather sophisticated, nuanced um, Christian understanding um, as we work through this. And we will conclude, hopefully, we'll conclude chapter 4 today and move into To chapter 5. Let me begin reading uh, with verse 29. That's kind of where we left off last Sunday. Let no unwholesome or rotten, it's a literal translation there, corrupt, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Um, We've been talking about, as we've moved through here, how Paul laid the foundation with doctrine about all the things that he has done for us. And then as chapter 3 ended, um, began to move into the application of this. And we're heavily involved in the application of this now. And if if you notice this, if you have a good reference Bible, maybe you may even see some things here where there are things that he brings up from those first three chapters all the way through the last three. He, he continues to talk about it. We'll see a couple of them today if we, if we have an opportunity to do that. So let's look at it and begin with verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. So that word literally means corrupt, and it, 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 it is a synonym of rotten. Uh, it, it has to do with um, decay, so, um, and it's interesting. If if we got down into it, we we would find out that it's filthy speech. Um, but it's it's more than just uh, profanity. We we often think about this as profanity, but it's more than that. It, it seems to be a theme with Paul, and you can find these verses in Ephesians, Ephesians five four, Colossians three eight. Colossians 4-6. Colossians 4-6 actually is really close to this. It says, let your speech, um, be filled with grace as if it were seasoned with salt. That's kind of a paraphrase, but that's what it's talking about. He wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, he said, don't, don't get involved in old wives tales and fables and those things that just breed speculations and, and don't, and don't edify. We, we often think that speech and action are separate. But speech is a form of action. Um, I know we, we contrast it. We look, we say, well, he said one thing and he did another. And we, and we, and we, we kind of divide that. But his saying something... Whether he lied or made promises he couldn't keep or was, you know, had an exalted opinion about what he could do, that process, that was in fact doing something. Our words are tools for either good or evil. And here the apostle says, don't use them for good, or excuse me, don't use them for evil, rather use them for good. So, complaining, murmuring, criticizing, it's all corrupt speech. And if you remember your Old Testament, I mean, um, there were some pretty severe penalties for people who murmured. (laughs) I mean, severe like the earth opened up and swallowed them. Uh, I, I often think of that when I'm in a grocery store or Uh, a big box store, and I hear a couple of the employees complaining about the hours they have to work. Well, let me get back here just a little bit, just in case, you know. Um, And of course, if you've lived long enough, we've probably all been involved in that in some form or another. But instead of complaining, what we probably ought to do is be challenging people. And instead of murmuring, we ought to be ministering. And instead of criticizing, we ought to be comforting. And I just threw those things in there because there was some alliteration involved in it. But if, if you stop to think about it, then you can, you know, you, you, you could make a list of negatives and positives. What's corrupt and what edifies. And that's the end of this. He says only such word as good for edification. In other words, it's better to be quiet than to say something negative and it would be better if we would say something positive and that positive is supposed to be according to the need um, the need of the moment so um, it, it's not just dirty jokes and, that, and we often think about that. That's, and it, it, that that's corrupt it's also innuendo insinuation untruth deception Fear, exaggeration, doubt, selfishness. So every time we we communicate those things, if the person who we're talking to is listening, that is going on in their mind and their heart. And that's why Paul said, that's that's corrupt. That's not taking them any place I want to take them. And we'll talk about that here in, in just a second. But rather, we're to edify. And so, <clears throat> if, if you're not familiar with that, that word means to build up. That's all it means. And we use it, you know, we talk about some sometimes of building being an edifice, but it, it's basically a building. It's something that is, it is built up. And our words are supposed to be used to bring others closer to the Lord. Uh, think about that just for, you know, for just a minute. It's probably impossible, at some form or another, to not talk about the weather or politics or sports. Um, Although, if if you really did stop to think about it, I hope you do that purposefully. You say, "Well, you know how." how devoted to this gospel thing should I be? Should I spend all of my time thinking about what's the best way to communicate what God wants to do in other people's lives? Well, should you? So if, if, if the weather opens the door for you to build a relationship and go someplace else with that communication, then by all means talk about the weather. And I'm not suggesting that the only thing you ever talk about is the Lord. You can have positive, encouraging, gracious, think about that, gracious speech that doesn't even mention the Lord, but that arises out of a heart that wants to glorify Him and that sees Him working in the situations around about us. So our, our, our words are used to bring others closer to the Lord, to portray His kingdom and to show his grace. And that's what he's saying is encouraging us to do here. That according to the need of the moment, that when folks hear what we say, it will bring them grace. Now, um, you know, I've, I've got this kind of reference study Bible here. And it's got all kinds of notes. And it's got headings in it. I mean, it, it broke this thing up into, it, into uh, outline form. And so in between this, between twenty nine and thirty, my Bible says, number five. Does yours have that in there? Mine says, number five, the walk of the believer as indwelt by the Spirit. All right, that's cool. And then and then there's a a verse thirty. You know, in Paul's writings, none of that was in there. There was no twenty nine. There was no thirty. And there certainly was not an outline put in here by the editors of this particular Bible. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. And certainly um, we would have a hard time remembering where to go see what Paul said if we didn't have references, wouldn't we? You know, we'd be saying, oh, I remember Paul said something about that somewhere in one of his epistles. You know, which one was it? And so on and so forth. So we we use these to look it up but stop and think does verse 30 go with verse 31 or does it go with 29 or does it all go together and I think that it all goes together look what it says and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption don't grieve, grieve not the Holy Spirit now, I'll cover this first. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit when we become believers. And he covers that in chapter 1, verses 13 and, thor- 13 and 14. He says that Spirit comes and seals us and is the down payment of our redemption, of our complete transformation. Paul talks about how the whole creation is groaning and waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. That that everything that we see is waiting for this final act when when everything comes to its conclusion. And this spirit that he gives us at this point who brings us joy and and who guides our steps. And we, we say it almost every Sunday when we try to talk to you about giving and we don't. Tell you to bring tithes because we don't believe that's a New Testament principle. We suggest to you that you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, that you obey the Lord, and do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do as far as your giving is concerned, and that that's part of this walk, this discipleship walk that we have with Him, that we obey Him with that as we do other things, and that's all done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who has sealed us and is proof of God's gracious salvation, a down payment. On that complete transformation, yet to become. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, when we as believers, and by the way, this was written to believers, every epistle was written to the church, it was written to people who were believers. So these words were not written to, to everyone out here in the world. They were written to believers. So every believer, when we fall short of what God has for us, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved because he's a person. And at some point, we'll get into this in more detail, but he's the one of the persons of the Trinity, and so he has emotional sense, he has personality, marks of personhood. He is part of the Trinity, and within the nature of the one God are three persons. one God, three persons. And we'll, again, talk more about that at, at, at some other time. But I wanted to get this thing because cover this ceiling and, and, and his personhood as we move on to something else. Because I want to talk to you about what grieves Him. We grieve Him when what we do dishonors the Lord. The Holy Spirit's purpose in coming to us, not not only as a seal, is to guide us into all truth. And you can read about this in, in John's epistle, especially he talks about it in John. Paul talks a lot about it in Romans. But... He he comes to guide us into all truth. He comes to glorify the Lord in our lives. So that's part of his purpose. That's why in verse 29, he's talking about our speech and, and he contrasts it, either being that which is corrupting or edifying. When it's corrupting, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It keeps God it keeps God from doing what God could do with our speech if our speech honored him. So when we when we grieve when we say that it grieves him because it dishonors the Lord and it also hurts us. There's probably no more sour person on the face of the earth than a disobedient believer. Because the Holy Spirit within him is continually grieved. So the first thing is it dishonors the Lord. The second thing, and the reason it grieves the Holy Spirit, is because we don't receive the benefits and the blessings of our obedience. We don't receive the blessings of honoring Him. We don't grow when we disobey. Paul wrote earlier in his book, he said, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding may be opened. And when we disobey, well, those eyes aren't open. They, maybe they even close a little bit more, and we we're squinting a little harder to see things. So we uh, here uh, it's our speech and our tongue. And by the way, if you want to really read about that, read James. James um, is uh, I, what's the word I want to say? He, he's he's uh, uh, he's violent. Against our tongues. He said, no man can tame it. So when you look at this list, that we're going to, uh, unwholesome, and then we go down here to verse 31, we see this list. we're, We're all subject to this stuff. Where things come out of our mouths that we don't want to come out of, we regret saying them. That's why the Lord gives us an opportunity both to ask forgiveness of Him and to ask forgiveness of brothers and sisters. So, um, the, the Holy Spirit is trying, think with me through this. The Holy Spirit is trying to give grace to your neighbor. Alright, that's his desire. He wants, to, he wants to somehow, whether he's an unbeliever or a believer, is trying to minister grace to him, to show him Jesus. And you come along, and with your words, you thwart what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. <laughs> Suppose that grieves the Holy Spirit? Um, I remember years ago when I was doing basketball officiating, I, we, we did, uh, I think it was the sixth grade team, and um, I saw it happen. Um, um, but it was the coach who I enjoyed the most because I can I, I still remember I'm standing there about 10 second line, and I look down there and I'm watching these guys, and, uh, and the coach yells, and I forget the kid's name, Joey! Joey, <laughs> you're supposed to set the pick on the other team. So if you know anything about basketball, this guy was going and setting the block on his own teammate. <laughs> he just didn't understand the concept. And I could see the, you know, the, the coach was going in, and, you know, and the, and the coach is thinking, you know, well, I, I, little kid, he doesn't understand all this stuff. He'll learn it as he, as he goes. Um, yeah. Sometimes we're out here and the Holy Spirit's trying to do what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in the lives of those around about us. And our words run interference for the devil. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. Folks, as, as we grow in Him, there ought to be a growing sense of awareness of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives And what he wants to see us do, wants to to have us be, so that we will be more sensitive to this. Now, getting into the word allows us or helps that process. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's possible without his word. Because we read his word, the, the Holy Spirit uses that and quickens those things to us. And said, yeah, you know, last week you did this. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And it's okay to, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Because I think sometimes we're going along, we think we're doing okay, we say something, we do something, and the Holy Spirit goes, oh, man. What am I going to do with this guy? He's setting a pick on his own teammate again. So here it's speech in the tongue. All right, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, excuse me, <coughs> along with all malice. All right, put them away. Here's the things. Let's go down through them. Bitterness. Bitterness is smoldering resentment or a brooding grudge. Smoldering resentment or a brooding. I'm going to go quickly down through these um, you can buy the tape for fourteen ninety five. I'm just teasing. Of course, it's all online. But bitterness is smoldering resentment or or a brooding grudge. Wrath is wild rage. Wrath here means that, that sort of passion that that comes out of the moment. You know, this explosive sort of thing. Anger has uh, more of the connotation of an internal smoldering. It's a, it's a, a subtle thing that's just beneath the surface, and it comes out on a, it comes out on occasions, and and sometimes it comes out in wrath. Clamor, <clears throat> excuse me, is a loss of control, uh, an outcry of strife. Man, you see a lot of this in the world. You see a lot of all of these things go on in the world. That's one of the reasons the apostles telling us, and the Holy Spirit wants us to see that those are things that we're supposed to put away from us. Slander is an ongoing defamation or an expression of bitterness. In some of your, some of the old translations, it actually comes from the word blasphemy. And when it's used toward God, it can be blasphemy. But when it's used towards us, Between us, it has to do with slander, um, an expression of of bitterness. Malice is just a general term for evil. And it's basically the root of all of these things. Let me go down through them again. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, Malice, and I know that (laughs) no one here has anything to do with any of those things. Okay, he said, tongue in cheek. The emphasis here, folks, is relational. That's what this is, that's what this is, has all been about. That's why he talked about gifts. That's why he, he talked about earlier in the chapter about the, the body ministering to each other, taking care of each other, and how it grows when every part excuse me, excuse me does its part. That's how when he started this back several weeks ago, <clears throat> it's been so long now we probably don't remember. He talked about those seven unities. Remember he talked about the, the unity of the faith and he went through those seven things. He's talking about relational things here. So these are things that when they come out of us, They harm relationships, they break relationships, and they they harm others. So, verse 32. And be kind to one another. Kind means kind. Everybody got that? Okay. I'm going to get... We're trying to get real technical here and get down into the language, all right? It says, that, uh, my translation says tender-hearted, another word for that, Another other translations say compassionate. And you may stop and think about that. You remember Jesus looked out on the multitude, saw that they appeared to him as sheep without a shepherd, and he had what? Compassion on them. In his heart was moved toward them. And that's what we're dealing with here. We're, we're talking about our hearts and not closing up our hearts to our brothers and sisters. But to be forgiving, and we're going to talk about forgiveness here in just a second, that we have a tender heart towards those around about us, towards one another, and that's talking about believers, that, that we have compassion, that we're kind, and that we don't close up and lock up our hearts. But that we be forgiving. Forgiving each other Okay? so you'll know what he's talking about here is he talking about forgiving the, the person out here in the world no he's talking about one another this is written to us we're to forgive each other that means that somebody now think with me somebody a believer near you has the capacity to do a wrong thing and offend you how many found out to be a reality how many aren't going to vote let me give you the other side of that. That means that you have the same capacity to offend those around you by doing one of these wrong things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, etc. Say, well, if I obey the Holy Spirit, I'll do everything right. Yes, you will. But no, you won't. If you did, you would. But you can't, so you won't. Follow that? That's pretty heavy theological language right there, wasn't it? Be forgiving. Why should we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. God, in His mercy, looked down upon us and saw that we needed forgiveness. And proffered it to us when we didn't deserve it. Christ died for sinners, not for the sanctified. That whole process that we talked about earlier about listening to the Holy Spirit and doing the right thing, that's a process theologically of sanctification where we grow in the Lord. That's what's going on in Ephesians 4 earlier when he talks about the whole body, ministering to one another, getting closer to him. Putting away these things, that's the process. We put away these things. I'm not going to be involved in that anymore. The Lord doesn't want to be me in, involved in it anymore. And when we when we do, then we, we we feel so broken before the Lord that we 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 say, I'm just not going to do that anymore. God, that hurt too much. I don't want to do that anymore. I know it hurt you. That's a process of sanctification. And in this but but because we're in this process, um, we we do make mistakes and and we do fail and there is need for us to forgive and there's need for people to forgive us. And we function in that process because of what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross, that he has proffered forgiveness to all of us, forgiveness we do not deserve, forgiveness of which we are not worthy. Uh, Let me shift gears here with you and ask you just to think with me for a minute. The church in general, and I pray, I know I do, because I think about it every once in a while. um, We we need to grow beyond the concept of transactional Christianity. Let me explain what I mean. I mean, you do this in order to get this. It's kind of a cause and effect thing. It's like going to the market. You lay down your money and you take your product and you go. And with, with the Lord and the way it's often presented in churches all across the English-speaking world, if you do good, you'll get rewarded. And this this actually came up because I talked to a a young colleague several weeks ago who talked about the process of forgiveness and he was telling me how he preaches forgiveness and the the way he preaches forgiveness is because all of the negative things that unforgiveness does to us. Which are extra biblical, but they're pseudo-psychological and so you can throw those things in there. And we have trained ourselves to believe that everything we do for the Lord should have a benefit for us. And often we focus in on that benefit for us rather than the fact that the Lord has already done for us. That's transactional Christianity. And we've got sermons, memes, and songs all about all the blessings of forgiveness. And, and I'm sure that some of those things are valid. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, he says if you don't, you know, there's people who are preaching, if you don't forgive, God will turn you over to the torturers. Some of you are familiar with that passage. That's not the point of the story, perhaps parable that Jesus told, that's not the point of it. And if you read it carefully, you'll find out that the reason the, the master got irritated at the servant and said he was going to turn him over to the torturers was because he didn't forgive after he had been forgiven. The point is we're to forgive because we have been forgiven, not to avoid torturers. The second part of that is, is that's pre-cross, pre-church, and it's not grace. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that as it involves forgiveness at some other point, but I want you just to lump that in with all of the other things that that we we cannot live up to the standard of God without the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need His sacrificial life. We need sacrificial death. We need His cross. But all through uh, Christianity today, we're we're teaching and we're preaching this transactional stuff you want to be forgiven forgive you want to be loved love you want to have give when you get to the root of each of those things they're anti-grace and they're based on works I do this so that I can get this from God. I do this because of what God has done for me and it's what he asks me to do. And I'm just a humble servant. And when I'm done, all I can say is, I'm only a servant. Jesus told that parable too, but very few people refer to it because it's not popular in modern Christianity. And if you're familiar with the servant, if you're familiar with the sermon, or with that uh, parable, that message, the servant comes in, changes his clothes, feeds the master, and when he's all done, he doesn't get thanked. He doesn't get rewarded. He's just a servant. And that's what we're supposed to be. We go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He has forgiven us we are bound morally to forgive others. We walk into His grace. We accept His grace. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. The the burden has rolled off like the old pilgrim, and and I'm free, and I thank you. uh, All of my past is gone. I'm a new creature in you. Thank you for all of that, and we turn around, and with some of these things Uh, Above, I mean, if you want to read that parable in Matthew, you can find out. Does this guy have bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, or malice? Of course he did. You can read that in Matthew 18. And we turn around with others and we act to them that way in in a way that denies what Jesus Christ did for us and grieves the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if we, we've forgotten what he did for us and, and we're going to, going to go live for ourselves again. It's an affront to the grace and the love of God that's in Jesus Christ when we don't forgive. So he commands us to do so. Now, I want to, I want to talk to you about all this for just a second. My time is up here, but we're, we're kind of early unless you guys... Have lots of prayer requests. Um. How quickly are we supposed to obey? Immediately? Okay, it's a good idea. We're to obey immediately. How many of us do it? Stop to think about it, especially when it comes to forgiveness. Someone has done a vile thing to you, and they're a believer. And they come and they ask for forgiveness, and now you 're working through everything that 's going on in your heart we 're to be tender hearted what does that have to, what does that mean That means that somehow we 're connected emotionally with this person. We're not closing ourselves up and locking down. We're connecting emotionally with this person so there can be compassion there. But those same emotions are also involved in the vile thing this person did to us and they come and they say, please forgive me. And we mouth the words. We say, yes, I forgive you because we know we're supposed to do that and they walk away and maybe they feel better about it and we're going, oh. And I tried to talk about this somewhat last week. We, we're not machines. It's not like you can flip a switch and it changes. Now the Holy Spirit can do that. But most of the time when that person comes and says, please forgive me, and we mouth the words, because we, we, we should do it. We should say, yes, I forgive you. Maybe we can say to them, I, I will forgive you. Please pray for me. <laughs> Okay, that would be honest, wouldn't it? I'm working on it. Please forgive me. And they walk away, and then in that process of working through this, the Lord is showing us things about ourselves that we didn't know about ourselves. I I, I read something a few weeks ago that said people who talk about how easy forgiveness is haven't really been hurt. So we go through this. It's not transactional Christianity. We go through this process. So, immediately? What if it's not immediately? What if it takes a week? What if we're crying out to God, Lord, help me forgive this person? What if we feel good about that person today and tomorrow, we remember and, and we have to fight against it all again because we remember the vile thing in a different way and it all comes back? Folks, we, 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 we need to move beyond this um, shallow, superficial fakery where we pretend that we're not human and we pretend we don't struggle and we pretend we don't need prayer and we pretend we're above all of the struggles and trials are going on out there. I I hope this is connecting with somebody. I hope it's helping you see that because you're going through this thing doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means you're human. I want to do what God wants you to do and He will help you. You will succeed. The Holy Spirit in you will cause you to succeed. You will not fail. Forgiveness will come. Grace will come. Compassion will come. Peace will come. The Holy Spirit will do those things in your life. because God's a God of grace and he'll do that work in your life And you say what, if, what, if, what about that guy who just hardens his heart and won't forgive what's going to happen to him God will forgive him because where sin abounds grace much more abounds I love the Apostle Paul and all his superlatives there is no sin that God can't forgive You can read about that in Romans chapter five. Stand with me, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your for your word. We live in a world of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. As a matter of fact, that's the way the world lives. And we go out here and we rub shoulders with folks and get involved in our jobs and and social connections and all the other things that go on and maybe even among our extended family and we experience all those things and there's pressure for us to react in kind. There's pressure for us to learn that way when your wonderful Holy Spirit has another way for us to be. He tells us to put those things off and put on kindness and compassion. Forgiveness Lord earlier, we read where Paul tells us to put off the old man, put on the new. and so Lord, as we walk this week between these two skins, the old and the new, grant that your spirit within us will help us put off the old, put away these relational negative things and walk in love and kindness compassion and forgiveness and Lord if we fail remind us that there's forgiveness in you and draw us to that place where we can cry out to you in our agony and our yearning over our own weakness and know that you hear us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.